Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I am sure that you are getting lots and lots and lots and lots of questions um, about unemployment compensation at this time, um, both from people in your life generally, and I'm sure uh, from clients uh, or the individuals that you work with in your job. This presentation is going to take a very basic level approach to unemployment compensation and specifically how it has changed or how it is addressing um, the current public health crisis. So I'm gonna go through several slides and explain different parts of the process and where things have changed. Um, and then at, at the end we'll take questions um, and I'll try to get in as many questions as I can before uh, people have to hop off. So hopefully as people know, uh, Unemployment compensation, which is referred to often as unemployment insurance everywhere else in the country, um, is a social insurance program that is meant to provide income replacement to individuals who have lost their job through no fault of their own. It is a system that is primarily funded uh, by employer taxes. However, Pennsylvania is one of three states that has an employee side tax. So if you're collecting a paycheck in Pennsylvania, you will have seen a little line item for unemployment uh, that is 0.7% um, of your salary. And so Pennsylvanians feel a special connection often um, to the money that are in these funds. So currently, um, we are still in the base uh, unemployment compensation system. There have been no extensions, no additions from the federal government uh, or from the state at this time. That means that individuals can collect up to 26 weeks of benefits, um, as we'll talk about later with their financial eligibility. Depending on the earnings in their base year, they would be eligible for anywhere from 18 to 26 weeks of benefits. Those benefits can be substantial for some folks. Um, the, they range anywhere from $68 per week to $561 per week. That $561 is for your higher end earners um, and can come close to $15,000 um, if you qualify for all 26 weeks. Now please note that these are amounts prior to tax withholding. So if individuals believe that they will owe federal taxes at the end of the year, they can choose to withhold uh, their federal taxes from their weekly payments. Uh, there's also a slight reduction right now. I believe it's a 4% reduction um, as part of the state's effort to continue to recover from the last recession. Um, and so the actual kind of in-pocket amount for folks once they get paid is gonna be slightly less than whatever uh, their weekly benefit amount is assessed to be. Individuals are paid every other week. So despite the fact that those are weekly amounts, really people are getting double that every other week. Um, and that's when they're gonna be filing their biweekly claims, which we'll talk about later. Right now, people are paid either by signing up for direct deposit, which they can do during their initial application or on the website or unemployment at any point after that. Um, if they do not sign up for direct deposit, they will receive a debit card in the mail um, and payments will be made onto that debit card. An important thing to note, although unemployment in Pennsylvania is undergoing a massive technology upgrade, uh, it is not finished, it will not be finished until the fall. As of now, all UC communication, meaning 
notices and decisions still come by mail. Um, we're keeping close track on what is happening with the Postal Service um, and whether they remain open. Um, as of now, they do. However, you will know that a lot of our clients often struggle um, with receiving mail in a timely manner. Um, so it's going to be really important that people continuously check their mailbox and that the address they give to unemployment is an address they have access to to get their mail. So people were previously doing a P.O. box or having their mail sent to their grandmother's house or their cousin's house. Um, that might be something they want to reconsider and have it go to whatever address they are currently staying at to make sure they get it. What does the claims process look like? I'm going to focus mostly on the first half because we are still a ways away from anyone who's applying right now getting to, um, uh, to the appeal side of the story. Generally speaking, everyone can apply for benefits, as I'll talk about in a second. There's two different ways to do that. Once you apply for benefits, unemployment sends a notice to your employer and they say, hey, employer, Mr. Smith filed for benefits for this reason. You have 14 days to tell us if you disagree or agree or have any more information. Based on that information, and if it's different in any way, they will then go back to the claimant and ask for clarification, either through um, a questionnaire in the mail or through a phone call. Then they will probably go back for rebuttal from the employer and so on, um, and they will issue a determination on eligibility. Um, and when I talk about determination eligibility in this way, I'm talking about their separation eligibility, meaning why they're no longer working for their employer. There's one more step between that that we'll talk about in a few slides. When they receive those notices, um, it's either going to find them eligible or ineligible for benefits, and they have the ability to appeal any decision finding them ineligible. Similarly, an employer has the right to appeal any decision finding a claimant eligible. There is a strict 15-day appeal period, um, and those appeals result in an unemployment compensation referee hearing, um, which are the de novo hearings that are held um, by, in essence, administrative law judges here in Pennsylvania. There are UC referee offices around the state. I will note that currently all UC referee hearing offices are closed and currently scheduled referee hearings have been canceled. We are waiting for um, information and follow-up from the department uh, and the Board of Review about how they are going to handle hearings going forward um, as they reassess how their staff can work remotely um, and still perform hearings. After those hearings, uh, another decision is issued, again in the mail, um, and that is a referee decision slash order. And that, again, is appealable by either side with a strict 15-day appeal deadline to the Unemployment Compensation Board of Review, which is, in essence, an appellate court within the agency that does a cold review of the decision using a copy of a transcript and any exhibits from the record. <clears throat> The Board of Review decision is the final decision within the agency. There is an opportunity for reconsideration, although we rarely use that. Um, when somebody receives a Board of Review decision that they disagree with, uh, they have an automatic right of appeal to the Commonwealth Court, the Intermediate Appellate Court here in Pennsylvania, uh, that handles 
appeals from administrative agencies. Um, now, most claimants end up doing that on their own, unfortunately, because we don't have significant resources to take those cases. Um, however, Philadelphia Legal Assistance does take a significant number of Commonwealth Court cases. And as this crisis goes on, if there are issues that come up that we believe need to be litigated, we are happy to work with you. Um, if you get one of those cases and you want to take it up to the Commonwealth Court. I'm going to go into more detail with each stage of these um, as we go through the presentation. Okay, so the unemployment uh, compensation application, there are two ways, well there really there are three ways, but I don't think anyone's going to be filing by paper uh, at the moment given access to mail. Um, there are two real options right now for people to file an initial claim. One is at the website, uh, uc.pa.gov, and one is by calling the statewide telephone number. Now, if you are familiar at all with unemployment, you will know that Pennsylvania has struggled uh, to have an accessible phone system for several years now. People often call and get busy signals or have wait times. We expect that to dramatically worsen during this crisis given that A, there's a high volume of calls and B, uh, Department of Labor and Industry staff are also in social distancing mode, meaning that their service centers are understaffed and they are figuring out how to answer the phones remotely. What that means is that we strongly recommend that people apply online. I'll note that is going to be difficult for a lot of our clients. Um, it's going to be especially difficult for those do not, who do not have computer access. Um, you can use a smartphone. Um, however, the application itself is not very mobile responsive and it can be very cumbersome. Um, so if you have any way to help clients or help people you know um, file these applications, if you have access to a computer, we recommend doing that. Philadelphia Legal Assistance is looking into building a program that would do that um, more systemically to help folks who can't um, access uh, the online application simply on their phone. And I'll just say usually people are able to go to a career link or a library, um, but do it at their workplace. But given the current orders in place, um, those locations are not accessible um, to folks. And so we do have a concern about how people are going to be able to file uh, these applications. Uh, despite that, over the first two days of this week, 120,000 applications for unemployment were filed in the state, um, which is an exponential increase uh, from the numbers of, number of filings that usually happen uh, during this week in March. So before we get into the details about the law and what's happening, um, some things to know. Um, if you are trying to help someone who is accessing unemployment, um, what are you able to help them find online? You can help them find the application for benefits, as we just talked about. Uh, you can help them find the bi-weekly uh, certifications, which they're going to have to file every other week. Um, you can help them change their contact information. There's a way to do that online. Again, um, mailing address is going to be very important to keep updated, as is telephone numbers. Uh, they can find their payment information in terms of uh, how they want to receive payment. And most importantly for folks who are gonna be very anxious about when they're gonna receive money at this time, you can find their benefit payment history. Uh, you can view a claim status, and you can view benefit payments and it will show you a chart 
of all the payments that were made, when they were made, what the initial payment was, what if any deductions or offsets there were, um, and when the money uh, should have hit someone's account. There's also a very helpful chat function now available on the unemployment website uh, that we recommend using. We, we think that they should be able to handle that pretty well remotely. Um, and so both you uh, and clients uh, are recommended uh, to that chat system for questions. Okay, so the biggest hurdle for people right now, since the vast majority of individuals impacted by COVID-19 are going to be in a layoff or lack of work situation, is financial eligibility. That is the first barrier of eligibility. Um, and that depends on how much you earned during a base year and when you earned it. Now I'm gonna quickly describe the base year. Uh, it's confusing and not easy um, to explain often to clients or to each other. Uh, but the general idea is that unemployment, uh, if you apply in a specific quarter, let's say you're applying right now, um, we are in the first quarter of 2020. Unemployment drops the current quarter, which is this one, and the quarter before that. So we're going all the way back to the third quarter of 2019 and going back a year from that. I'll show you the exact timeline on the next slide. But what that means is that oftentimes, if people have worked a lot in the last six to nine months, most of those wages will not show up um, on their financial eligibility and could cause problems um, if they're filing an application right now. The financial eligibility notice will also show uh, what the weekly benefit amount is for that particular claimant. Um, and it should list all employers that are in that base year. So if somebody worked for multiple employers, they should all be listed there with the wages that were paid out um, in, in boxes that correspond with the quarter. Now, what if someone's not financially eligible? So there's a few situations. One where there's not enough wages and so they don't qualify or the wages don't happen throughout the time period. Um, they're all in one quarter or two quarters. Um, the other situation is they may have no wages whatsoever in their base year, in which case they'll get a notice that says, we see no wages for you. Why might wages be missing? Well, there are two main reasons. One, an employer failed to accurately report wages. And we see this fairly often where an employer for some reason has just not reported wages or they reported the wrong wages. So make sure that people are looking at the wages um, and determining if they believe they are accurate and if anything is missing. For instance, commission is missing or if they reported tips um, to the IRS to be counted uh, as income by the end of the year, uh, that they may need to file an appeal uh, and ask that those wages be added in or ask that a wage investigation be done. The other reason wages might be missing, and one that is also very prominent, is misclassification. Um, the only wages that are included in a base year are wages earned in employment as defined by the law. Um, and so if an individual had been earning pay uh, as a 1099, those wages are not going to show up on the base year. Um, somebody would need to appeal that notice of financial determination, provide proof of their wages, um, and contest the fact that they actually earn those in employment, um, which is very similar to the test in the wage and hour context, but here um, in the unemployment context, it looks at two questions, whether the worker was free from control and direction 
and whether they were customarily engaged in an independent business or profession. In order, uh, there's a presumption that everyone uh, who receives wages for work done is, an, is working in employment. Uh, therefore, if somebody does contest this, it's on the employer to prove both that they were free from control and that they were customarily engaged in an independent business. Um, these are difficult cases, and so we recommend if people are experiencing this, um, to the extent you can represent them in these processes, or if they're in the Philadelphia area, send them to us. Um, we will almost always provide representation for that specific type of case um, because of the far-reaching consequences. The other situation that could happen um, is that, again, uh, because someone's working more recently, their wages just aren't in that base year, right? So the current base year, as I said, is going to run from October 2018 to September 2019. However, as of April 1st, we have a quarter change. We are then in the second quarter of 2020. Um, so once we're in the second quarter, the base year changes. So as of April 1st, they're going to be looking at all wages earned in 2019. So if somebody had wages uh, starting in let's say July of, uh, of 2019, they may not be eligible um, when they apply right now, right, if that was when they first started working. But as of April 1st, when the rest of their wages show up for the year, they may be eligible. People can reapply um, at the beginning of the next quarter or any point during the next quarter, um, even if they got denied when they applied in this quarter. The only issue is if somebody applied in this quarter and got denied and appealed, um, they will need to withdraw that appeal before filing again in the next quarter, otherwise they won't process the new application. But if the only reason you're not financially eligible is because your wages didn't occur during the base period, an appeal won't get you anywhere. The only way to handle it is by filing a new application during the next quarter. Okay, so what most people think of when they think about eligibility for unemployment um, is separation eligibility. In essence, why are you no longer working? Generally, that's going to fall in the category of a lack of work, a layoff, a reduction of hours, some sort of voluntary leave of the job, or a discharge in the suspension. Generally speaking, if it's the last two on this list, um, UC will investigate, as I mentioned before, um, by calling or sending forms to the worker and the employer. One important thing to note, if somebody puts lack of work, layoff, or reduction of hours when they file for benefits, if the employer agrees or does not respond, there is no investigation, and unemployment, once those 14 days have passed, will simply pay out benefits. Individuals who select those options will not receive a notice of determination in the mail that says you have been found eligible based on your separation from your employer. The only notice they will have received is the notice of financial eligibility. That can be extremely confusing because all of a sudden they would just receive money in their account. And if they're not watching their account, they're not going to know that happened. Um, so if you're talking to people who are stressed or confused and want to know what's going on, be aware that they may start receiving benefits without a decision that actually finds them eligible based on what happened with their job. If it's a voluntary leave, and most likely if it's a discharge, um, there will be a notice of determination that is sent out by unemployment. 
So specific to right now, almost anyone who has lost work due to COVID-19 and its effects um, should be eligible. Uh, there are a whole bunch of different situations that we're seeing and that people might be in. Um, and I'm gonna have a flow chart on the next slide uh, that goes into this more. Um, but generally, anyone whose hours have been cut, um, who has been laid off, um, who has been temporarily furloughed, right? any of the language that is used, um, that will be qualifying. One thing I've seen come up in the news is this idea that uh, employers are telling people that they are, their hour, they're still employed, but their hours have been cut to zero and telling folks that they are therefore not eligible for unemployment. That is simply not true. If your hours uh, were greater than zero before and they are zero now, that is a reduction of hours. Um, those folks would still be eligible for unemployment. Similarly, there are situations where somebody may have had to quit or leave their job because of the health crisis um, or have refused to work um, because of aspects of the health crisis and all of those situations should also be eligible. I'm gonna go to a, the uh, flow chart in the next screen. Okay, so I'm this- I'm sorry, chart, Julie, uh, yep. Julie, I'm sorry. Interrupt, I'm for attorneys on the call who are requesting CLE credit, I'm going to go ahead and launch the first poll question. I need you to answer this, and also the second one we'll do later on in the poll in order to receive credit. And I am also uploading into the chat box feature some materials and documents that Julie has provided. You can go on the chat box feature, click that, and you should see the documents on there. If you hover over them and click download, you'll be able to download them to your computers. So. Thank you, and go ahead, Julia. I'm still seeing the poll on the screen, blocking the flowchart. Should we wait until that's done? How about now? It's still there, but maybe because I haven't, it's not polling me. I'm just gonna close it out. Okay, yeah. there As we go. As a presenter, it won't, for attendees, it'll go away. Okay, as you all know, it's very clear that I'm actively participating in this CLE. <laughs> so this flowchart uh, is available on our website. We've posted it on social media. We have it in a format that can be posted on social media, um, and we can send it out, and, and Kelly may be uploading it as we speak. Um, this does not cover every possible situation, um, but we tried to uh, show how people can figure out what to answer when they file their application and it asks them for their reason for separation, right? So anything involving a workplace closure um, or a temporary layoff or um, being told that uh, there's a lack of work, anything like that, um, they should always put lack of work or uh, laid off. Um, it's a drop-down menu that's gonna be available to them uh, on the online application. If they, in essence, initiated the separation, that's still gonna be under a voluntary quit or a leave of absence. Um, so if they couldn't, if their business was open um, and they were supposed to attend work, but they couldn't because they had to care for a sick family member or a household member, um, or they could no longer go to work because they did not have access to childcare and schools were closed, um, or they, uh, felt unsafe coming to work because perhaps they're high risk, um, or uh, they needed to self-quarantine because of symptoms. Those individuals 
uh, would most likely have to say that they voluntarily quit or took a leave of absence. Now, all of those reasons should be qualifying under the law here in Pennsylvania. Um, and in fact, the department has stated that on some of its public documents. The key for those of you who are familiar and those of you who are not with unemployment compensation law is that in order to be eligible when you quit your job, you must first have informed your employer of the issue, right? So make sure that people are talking to their employer before they just stop showing up to work. Ideally, to the extent people can uh, have copies of that communication in writing, if there's ever a chance that an employer contests that later, um, they have their evidence. If somebody was fired for refusing to work in unsafe conditions, or their employer sent them home because let's say they had traveled or they had some minor symptoms, that is the employer initiating the separation and those individuals um, should say that they were fired or suspended. Um, and as we'll talk about, neither of those situations should be considered willful misconduct. They should qualify for benefits. Now, for people who have just had a reduction in hours, um, there's an option to select still employed on the drop-down list, which is what they would pick. Um, and then they're able to show what their reduction of hours is um, as they go forward. Um, Pennsylvania has partial benefits. That means that you can both be earning some amount of money and collecting unemployment compensation. The unemployment compensation amount that you're going to receive um, will be offset to a certain extent based on whatever your weekly income is. Okay. So just a little bit more information about that based on um, you know, what people are gonna be seeing if it's something that's not a lack of work, a layoff, or a reduction of hours situation. For my more experienced uh, advocates on the phone, you're already familiar with this. When somebody is discharged from their job in Pennsylvania, there is a presumption that they are eligible for benefits because they did not choose to stop working. That presumption can be overcome if the employer establishes that they engaged in willful misconduct, which is the terminology used in the statute. In essence, that means cause, right? Some sort of cause for firing them. Um, it's much more detailed than that, but we don't need to go into it at the current moment. For If somebody, uh, if the employer is able to show that somebody did indeed engage in willful misconduct, there was cause. Uh, there's an affirmative defense that an employee uh, can show, a claimant can show that they had good cause to act in that way, right? So the two situations we just talked about, someone is sent home because they experience minor symptoms. There's no way that an employer is going to establish that there's willful misconduct in that case, that person will be eligible. Let's say that somebody refused to come to work because they felt unsafe, because they were high risk the employer would probably be able to establish that they were insubordinate. However, the claimant would be able to easily show that they had good cause for that conduct because of their high-risk situation. Um, we are hopeful that the Department of Labor and Industry will correctly assess these cases at the service center level and the first level of eligibility um, because they are on the lookout for all of these situations. In Pennsylvania, when you voluntarily leave your job, whether you're quitting or taking a leave of absence, the presumption is that you are not eligible for benefits because in the law's mind, well, you stopped working. Why should we pay you benefits? However, that presumption can be overcome 
by the claimant establishing they had what's called necessitous and compelling reason for leaving. In essence, they had a good reason to leave um, and they made an effort to preserve their employment. Um, this is really important. In a lot of states, the law is much more narrow than what we have here in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, you can show good cause for voluntarily quitting for a reason that has nothing to do with your employer um, or something that has to do with your employer. Pretty much every situation we've talked about related to COVID-19 should make someone eligible for benefits and will be found uh, to be necessitous and compelling reason. Again, the department is on the lookout for all of these. Um, when you're dealing with a discharge, you're looking at Section 402E of the law. And when you're looking at a voluntary quit, you're looking at Section 402B. You all will probably not be seeing um, these situations um, or any issue with separation until we get um, a few weeks into this process, right? Right now, people just want information on applying. Um, but if people start getting denied for various reasons, um, they're going to come to legal aid around the state looking for help um, in these particular situations. Okay, so normally uh, in Pennsylvania, there are work search requirements, um, including registering online for CareerLink, performing weekly work searches, and attending reemployment serv uh, services uh, at local career links. Right now, during the public health crisis, all of that is waived. People do not need to register online for CareerLink. They do not need to do work searches. All reemployment services, uh, classes, otherwise known as RACIA, have been canceled. Okay, so that's a really important thing to note for folks who get very anxious about whether they need to be looking for work while they're on a temporary layoff and no one's hiring. Um, they do not need to do that right now. The department has formally waived all of that. Okay, in order to actually get paid, people need to file their biweekly claims. So when you file initial application for benefits, um, it will backdate that application to the Sunday of that week, right? That's the beginning of the week. Um, once somebody has completed the application, they will be informed what is the first week they need to file for in their biweekly claim, in essence, two weeks later. For each biweekly claim, you are filing for the past two weeks and saying, yes, I'm still unemployed, um, and you know, or if I've worked, this is how much I've worked, and you will only get paid for weeks that you have filed for, okay? There are two different ways to file. One is online, again, at uc.pa.gov. It's a much shorter um, application uh, than the initial applications, and we're hopeful that people can easily do those on their phone. Um, and importantly, uh, there is a phone number, 888-255-4728. Uh, um, that is an automated system. It's called PAT, um, and so it is not affected by high volume to the statewide phone number. It's a separate phone number and it's an automated filing system, so it should not be affected. Now, what's really important, we're going to continue to put out materials about this to help people because it can be confusing, is that if you have earned any wages during the weeks at issue, you must report them. People get assessed overpayments all the time in unemployment for not accurately reporting their wages. So let's talk about what that means. You have to report wages that you earned during that week. So even if your paycheck isn't coming for another two weeks, if you earned it during that week, you have to report it. 
So they have a system to help you figure out your hours worked, um, days worked, rate of pay, um, to accurately report how much you believe that you have earned uh, during that week. You must report your gross earnings, right? That's why they're asking for your hourly pay generally, um, not net, meaning before taxes, the full amount, that's what you have to report. You also need to report any PTO. So if some people, let's say you're in Philadelphia and you're getting you know, some paid sick days under our paid sick leave law, um, you must report that when you file. Again, it will just be an offset. If you have received enough that you're not gonna actually be eligible for benefits that week, you don't lose out on benefits, you just get to file forward for them, okay? If you take any sort of other paid time off, you have to report that. Also, if anyone works for, uh, is unionized and receives a severance, they also need to report that. However, the severance amounts are going to be uh, too small to have any impact on benefits given the current law. Um, so that won't, that won't uh, affect somebody's ability to get paid, but they do need to report it. The key is, you need to be as honest as possible with all of this when you are filing these claims. Um, unemployment will find out if people are not, um, and it's important that claimants understand that. It's also important that even if you are found ineligible or you haven't heard from unemployment, you keep filing your biweekly claims. If uh, you get if you become eligible later on in the process after an appeal, um, they will only pay out the weeks that you filed for. So it's really important to file no matter what in this situation. Also, similarly, if people do go back to work in two weeks, they still need to file that first biweekly claim to claim these two weeks um, that have passed. Okay, so the other requirement for unemployment to be aware of um, is a week-by-week -week eligibility issue. It's called able and available. It means that someone must be physically able to do work uh, and must be available time-wise to do that work. Uh, it's a very low bar. Light duty is okay. Um, you can be available on evenings, on weekends. You can be available for you know 12 hours a week. <laughs> during, it's, it's really a low bar. Generally, the idea is if there's any job available that you could do, um, you're eligible. Right now, for instance, that means if an employer were to offer you remote work and give you all the capabilities to do that, would you be able to do it? Which for almost everyone would be yes um, right now. Uh, uh, this is not about whether they are able to do the last job, right? It's not about whether they're able and available to work at the store that is closed because they're probably going to think the answer is no. Um, it's just about any job on the job market. The department has said that they are going to be as lenient as possible with this uh, within the bounds of federal guidance. The one issue that I think is going to be a little tricky um, could be people who um, have children home um, during the day and no access to childcare because schools are closed. While that would qualify you for voluntarily leaving work, um, we have not been able to get out of the department whether they're going to raise that as an able and available issue. My advice to workers and to advocates is if that person would be offered work in the evening that they could do remotely after their kids go to sleep and they would have been willing to say yes, great, they are eligible, right? I think the baseline um, presumption should be for folks that they are eligible under able and available right now and not to worry much about it. 
So what some people are going to have to worry about, this is our last main issue, um, is something that we have been frustrated by uh, for the last several years here in Pennsylvania, and that is a provision in our law that denies individuals benefits when they are self-employed, uh, a term that is not defined in the law. Where that comes into play is that a lot of individuals right now, when they lose their full-time job, are going to think, how can I make some money to make ends meet? Especially since they're not going to receive their first unemployment paycheck for three to four weeks. So they think, I'll go drive for Uber Eats, or I'll do ride sharing with Lyft, or Grubhub, or one of the other delivery services, right? Because they are doing what public policy wants them to do. They're looking for work, they're trying to make an income, and clearly people need money right now. Because they are earning money through those uh, jobs, they have to report those earnings to the department. Um, if they don't report them, they could again get later charged uh, for an overpayment by the department. The problem is when the department sees those, uh, that income and they see that it's not for a W-2 employer, they're going to investigate and most likely disqualify them as being self-employed. So even though they've qualified for benefits because they were laid off or there was a lack of work, uh, the, the department is now going to disqualify them going forward. However, the department is wrong. That is not the law as it currently stands. Last year in 2019, last January, um, I won a case called Lohman versus Unemployment Compensation Board of Review on Bonk at the Commonwealth Court involving uh, an UberX driver who had lost his full-time job in behavioral health uh, and had started driving for UberX to help make ends meet um, while he waited uh, for a new job or while he was looking for a new job. The Commonwealth Court, in a, in a you know, seven to zero decision, found uh, that if you are a worker who takes up short-term work like that uh, to help hold yourself over, um, and you do not intend to start your own business, then you are not disqualified due to self-employment. The government, the Department of Labor and Industry and the Board of Review has appealed that case to the Supreme Court. Um, it was argued in September and we're waiting for a decision. In the meantime, the department has refused to apply that law uh, at the service center level. However, Referees are always correctly applying Lohman on appeal. Um, they are actively using that law. Um, and so if somebody is disqualified for this reason, they should definitely appeal. Um, and they will be, their eligibility will be re reversed and reinstated. The problem, as you can imagine, is that this means that anyone who starts doing this is all, gonna, all of a sudden going to see their benefits delayed you know, for like eight weeks as opposed to the three to four weeks um, that other people have or even longer. And it's going to be incredibly distressing. We have raised this issue to the department. We have asked them to implement the law given the current crisis as it currently stands. They have refused. They say everything is an individualized decision. Um, maybe there's a chance they start to do it but don't announce it. Um, but we are going to be looking for examples of people who have been harmed by this approach um, because we are going to be doing media on this and we want to bring those examples to the department's attention so they understand how much people are being harmed uh, by their failure to implement this decision. Um, who knows, we may get the decision from the Supreme Court <laughs> in the next two months while this is all happening, in which case I'll be back with you guys uh, with more information, but I just wanted to flag this. Now some people might think, oh, 
well, then maybe what I should do is just not report my earnings uh, from these gigs, from these jobs to unemployment, and then they won't disqualify me. That is true. But if at some point later, the department discovers that you had been working for these entities, and more likely than not, they will discover it, um, people will get hit with really, uh, really disastrous overpayments. So it's much better to uh, go ahead and go through this process and inform unemployment of what you're doing uh, than to get hit with the overpayment later. So very quickly, uh, when people are found ineligible for some reason, as I said, they have the right to appeal. The appeal deadlines in unemployment are very strict. They're 15 days. I am a little concerned that there is going to be mailing issues coming from the department on these notices and that mail will be delayed getting to people. It's gonna be really important that people pay very close attention uh, to when they actually received the mail in case they need to contest why they had to file a late appeal and that they hold on to envelopes um, that show the actual mailing date um, in case there was some sort of delay in the process. Um, people can appeal in several different ways. We almost always recommend people go to CareerLink, um, which will fax their appeals and stamp them. Of course, right now, that's not possible. If CareerLinks open up again, um, then again, we would recommend that. Um, again, mailing, if their mail carrier is willing to take them, if depending on whether they can get to a mailbox or a post office, um, they can also do that. Uh, but the, the appeal uh, date will be the date of postmark, so you need to make sure it gets postmarked within the deadline. Right now, the best way to appeal is probably by sending an email to ucappeals at pa.gov. Um, they can just put the, their information, their social security number, um, and the date of their determination in there and explain why they disagree. There are also petition for appeal forms on the unemployment website that they can download, fill out, um, and send by email. Um, I am hopeful that the department will be a little bit more lenient with deadlines and late appeals and good cause arguments, again, given the current crisis. So, so one thing before we go to questions um, that we didn't go into detail in this presentation. Unfortunately, right now in Pennsylvania, there are a decent amount of people who currently have unemployment overpayments on their accounts. Um, some of them that are from the last recession. What does that mean? If somebody owes unemployment money as a non-fault overpayment, and it's still within the statute of collections, which is four years from the application date that caused the overpayment, then if they are filing for benefits now, unemployment can take up to a third of each payment check towards repaying the overpayment. If somebody owes a fault overpayment, um, and the statute of collections on that is a little bit different, if it happened after 2012, it's gonna be a 10-year statute of collections. If it happened before 2012, mostly, it's going to be a seven-year statute of collections from, again, um, the application date. If you have a fault overpayment, they will offset your entire benefit payment towards repaying the overpayment. If you go on the view benefit payment part of the unemployment website, uh, you will be able to see uh, that uh, that money is indeed being offset um, by unemployment. 
This is going to be really difficult for people who need money in their pocket right now and really frustrating. Um, we recommend, however, even if the money's not going to your pocket, uh, that people still apply and get benefits because it is still helpful for them to pay down uh, the overpayments and get that off their claim, especially if the situation is to continue. Uh, and that otherwise nobody gets that money, right? So they may as well get that money to help pay back the overpayment. One other, so if, if somebody comes to you and they say, well, I should be eligible, right? I was laid off, um, but I'm not getting any benefits. Why is that? It's highly likely it's because they have a fault overpayment on their record. There's also a place online that they can check um, and say, view my overpayments. Similarly, if someone says, I'm getting a lot less than I was supposed to get, it's probably because they have a non-fault overpayment. Well, finally, one other situation that compounds all of this is that if in the past they had a fault overpayment and they were assessed additional penalties, um, something called a penalty week, that's in essence a dead week they have to file for before they get paid. So if you owed $2,000 um, in a fault overpayment to, over, to unemployment and you had six penalty weeks, what that means is that unemployment is going to offset all of your benefits until it's collected $2,000. And then you're going to have to file for six weeks and receive no benefits uh, before you are actually eligible to receive money again. Um, so be aware of these things that could be happening in the background. Um, we are advocating uh, to the department uh, that they may want to consider some waivers in these situations because of the desperate situation surrounding the coronavirus. However, uh, there's constant pressure from the federal government for them to continue these collection efforts, and we're unclear if uh, they're going to have the leeway or do anything um, about waiving overpayments during this time. Um, if you, again, have stories of how people are hurt by this, especially people who have what I call default fault overpayments, meaning that they received a fault overpayment notice in the mail a year or years after they collected benefits and they weren't paying attention because so much time had passed or it went to an old address they no longer lived in and they missed their appeal deadlines and they were never able to appeal. Um, those are very good stories to explain how the, pro how the department handles overpayments and how it harms people, especially in situations like this. So please get in touch with me if you have people in that situation, because if they're willing to, we'd like to have them speak to the media um, about their experiences. Uh, so with that, um, I think we're at 11.50, so I can hopefully fit in uh, some questions before uh, people have to go, and of course, you can stay on afterwards. Um, I'll continue answering questions. The one other thing that has changed in the wake of the coronavirus is that uh, usually when you file for benefits, um, the first week that you file for is something called a waiting week. You don't get paid for that week. You start getting paid the second week. They have waived that, so now when people make their first uh, bi-weekly filing, they're able to collect both of the first two weeks, not just one like they used to, okay? So people should be getting, again, more money in their pocket sooner. If you work in the Philadelphia area um, and you have clients or community members uh, who need representation or having issues with their unemployment, uh, please send them to Philadelphia Legal Assistance. We, like everyone else, are currently working remotely. However, we have telephone intake, 
um, that is running Monday through Thursday from 9.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. And we also have 24-7 online intake. Um, so please send people to us uh, who are having issues. We want to make sure uh, that during this very traumatic, traumatic time, uh, people can access the benefits uh, that they deserve and that they have earned. Um, so with that, thank you very much. And I believe Kelly is going, has been tracking the questions uh, as they've come up uh, and is going to ask me, and then I will answer them. Yes, I have been tracking them. We have quite a number of questions. And <laughs> however, I'm going to launch the second for attorneys requesting CLE credit for your participation in this webinar. I've just launched the second poll question. If you could please respond to that, I can leave that up for two minutes while we go through the questions. So if you want CLE credit for your participation in this webinar, please respond to that question. Oh, Julia, the first question we have is, can you file for UC on behalf of someone? So it depends on what you mean on behalf of someone. Um, if somebody is with you and you are filling out the application online for them, uh, we believe that is fine. Similarly, if you have someone on the phone with you and you're going through the application with them, over the phone and you are filling in on the computer, we believe that is fine. That is actually what we are looking to expand our services to address here at Philadelphia Legal Assistance. However, know that unlike other types of applications, there is nowhere on the application to say that it was prepared by someone other than the claimant. Um, so you are filing it on their behalf. Unemployment would have no idea that anyone other than the claimant typed in those answers. But we do think that that is okay, and in fact, we're encouraging people to help with that, uh, given the issues uh, with telephone access. Okay. If you work in Pennsylvania but live in Ohio, do you apply for UC benefits in Pennsylvania or Ohio? You apply in Pennsylvania. Okay. If client has already applied but would have significantly more income counted on April 1st, is there anything they can do to remedy that? If they are concerned that they have a weekly benefit amount coming in right now that is uh, lower uh, than um, they would have if they had applied on April 1st, then I believe they can withdraw that application and file again um, in April. Um, but I do want to double check that, uh, and and I can we can get back to folks on that. But I believe they should be able to withdraw that with again without any prejudice and file a new application uh, once April comes around. Okay. Um, somebody had wondered if they will be able to get a copy of the PowerPoint. I had put all the other materials you had sent on the chat box for download, but it didn't have the PowerPoint. I'm happy to send the PowerPoint around. Okay. Some employees are telling folks they will be paying under the table. Should that income be reported in the biweekly claims? Aye, aye, aye. Um, so, that's a really 
hard question to answer. Um, my initial response would be, yes, they should report it. Um, I, I worry a little bit about what that's going to do to people at the end with taxes. Um, I will, while I would always encourage people to be honest with the department um, and make sure that they are following the law, um, if the employer is not reporting that income ever to unemployment, I will say unemployment will not have a way to know about it. But our recommendation generally is that people should uh, be honest and report income that they have earned. Okay. I've gotten a lot of questions from self-employed people about how to get compensated for lost jobs and whatnot. Are they eligible for UC? So if you are uh, a small business owner and you control, you own and control uh, the policy and operations of a business, uh, you will not be eligible for unemployment. Unfortunately, uh, we are hopeful that there will be other sources of relief that come from the uh, local, state, or federal government for folks in that situation because it is a, it is a significant issue. Uh, but unfortunately, unemployment is not set up uh, to provide benefits to those folks. Similarly, if you are an independent contractor who provides services to multiple entities um, operating on your own, um, similarly, again, you will not be uh, eligible for unemployment. All of those wages will be 1099s, um, and uh, you would most likely not show that you're misclassified given that you are, in essence, running um, a, a, a kind of a side, a business for yourself. Okay. Um, what if their full-time job is Uber? If your full-time job was already in the gig economy and you don't have any other W-2 wages that are going to show up from your base here, uh, you are not going to be eligible uh, on the financial determination. Um, on the financial determination, it will show no wages. Um, there is a lot of talk and consideration about whether um, Uber or another ride uh, hailing drivers are misclassified. Um, so if folks want to contest that, they can appeal and contest that. Um, but I just want to note that would be um, a possibly a long process that has to go all the way up to the courts. Um, again, we have been looking for some clarification on that, um, but as of right now, um, it's not set up to pay out benefits to people uh, when uh, gig work has been their only income during the base year period. Okay, next question. What is the lowest quarterly amount you can earn and still collect? I don't know that off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, it's based on, um, it, based on, uh, it shows what your, your highest quarter uh, needs to be. Sorry, it's actually based on whatever your high quarter is, there's a determination of what you have to have earned over the entire base year to be eligible. Um, so unfortunately, I don't know that off the top of my head, um, but I can look at the uh, chart in the law and we can send that information um, out afterwards. Okay. 
If people exhaust their 26 weeks, can they reapply with a new base earning period? So first of all, my hope would be that if this is still going on, we'll see an extension of benefits by that time and there won't be a need to reapply. If people um, open a brand new claim now for unemployment um, and they collect their 26 weeks and have not, then they would have to wait a full year, right, until this application year is over. So if they filed March 15th, they could not file a new claim year until March uh, 15th, 2021. And in order to qualify for more wages under the, sorry, more benefits under the current system, um, they would need to have earned six times their weekly benefit in rate, uh, sorry, six times their weekly benefit rate in between, meaning that they would have had to do some work um, in between filing their first application and the next application. Again, if we are in this situation, I would hope and expect that there will be a state and or federal extension of benefits uh, that would address that. One other situation to keep in mind, though, for a lot of people who, who often are in temporary layoffs, depending on their field of work or their employer, they may have already opened a benefit um, claim, let's say, uh, in July of, um, of 2019, right? And so what they're doing right now is they're reopening that claim. And let's say, um, you know, they have 10 weeks left on that claim. They can file for those 10 weeks and collect them. When July comes around again, they could file a new application, right, for another benefit year. And since they had been kind of in and out of layoffs during the year, a lot of times it's for people who work on the academic calendar, other situations where um, they're in partial layoffs, they will have almost always earned the necessary wages in between claim years to be eligible for a second claim year. So it's important for people to understand when their claim year ended, um, because if they had started it earlier in this year or last year uh, and they exhaust it, they may be able to file another um, application and collect another 26 weeks. Okay. If client is getting UC but had overpayment and it is not being recouped, would they then not be able to receive TANF? My understanding is only one cash benefit at a time. So our experience has been that if that, that one of the issues is that um, what a Department of Health and Human Services sees in their system is the amount someone is eligible for regardless of whether or not it's being offset. So they may see that someone's getting $400 a week, um, but that person is actually not because it's being offset or they're not actually eligible. Um, when you're not eligible, you can show that to, to, um, to the uh, welfare office, but when you are, have, it, have it being offset, it's harder. Um, the uh, paralegal at our organization um, who deals with these issues has always been able to work um, with the Department of Health and Human Services staff um, and reinstate people's TANF or other forms of assistance uh, when, um, when uh, they are having their benefits offset due to an overpayment. So I would definitely try that. Um, typically, unemployment is not considered a form of cash assistance. Let me also just note another issue that's come up um, that we did, I didn't talk about and we have um, an, an FAQ document about that, which is immigration status. Um, as long as you are authorized to work 
Um, in the United States, uh, you are eligible to collect unemployment compensation pending everything else that we talked about. And two, importantly, given this time, unemployment compensation does not count against people under public charge. So individuals who are concerned about the new public charge rule, it is not a form of cash assistance under that. Um, it does not affect your eligibility to adjust your status. And actually, if you look at the application um, that you're required to submit under public charge, unemployment is not even an option to check a box for. So people should not worry about the effect of collecting unemployment on their immigration status. Okay. Can we still do paper applications if there is no other way? Yes, there's no, there's nothing that says you can't do a paper application and mail it to the service center. Um, overpayments can be discharged in bankruptcy unless the discharge is successfully challenged by the department. Yes, they can be discharged. We have often um, had clients with large overpayments um, seek to have those discharged, especially if they have other forms of debt. Um, one thing to, to note, um, when you're talking with people who have overpayments that might be confusing to them, um, they may have gotten an original overpayment for $5,000 several years ago, uh, but unfortunately, fault overpayments collect interest, 9% uh, compounding interest, um, and so they can get much larger very quickly. So that's why sometimes people do end up going through bankruptcy because they can end up with a fairly large overpayment. Next question. If someone has paid off the books, can they apply? Um, when they apply, if they don't have wages that were reported by other employers, uh, they will show as having zero income, right? They won't be financially eligible. Um, they can contest that and provide evidence or proof of what they were paid. However, I would warn that if they did not report those under the table wages uh, to the IRS, um, that could be problematic for them uh, in the long run. Um, if they are reporting everything to the IRS, and they can certainly provide proof right of that reporting um, to show that they indeed had income for unemployment. Okay, if you miss the appeal deadline from the referee decision for good cause, can you reapply for benefits? So if you were disqualified for benefits, um, that disqualification stays on your record, right? If you miss the appeal deadline and you didn't file a late appeal, right? Because you, you can file late appeals and they will often find good cause and, and, and accept that appeal um, if you're able to show um, that circumstances were outside of your control. Um, if the final decision for you is that you are ineligible um, based on your separation, right? Able and available is a week-by-week -week determination that can change at any time. Based on your separation, you will not be eligible for benefits again until you have earned six times whatever your weekly benefit rate was. You will have to have worked again. So if somebody lost their job and was found to have engaged in willful misconduct and was disqualified in February, if they have worked again now um, and earned six times their weekly benefit rate for another employer and are now laid off um, due to the coronavirus, they should be eligible based on their, this, what happened with their most recent employer, right? Because unemployment is not about 
the employer you quote unquote file against, right? The employer that provided the wages that are in your base year, your eligibility is based on your most recent employment, um, which is why uh, you must always report all forms of employment to unemployment um, and wages, no matter what state they come from. Um, what, but however, if somebody was in that situation denied in February and has not worked since then, but let's say that workplace they used to be at is now closed temporarily due to the coronavirus, um, they are not going to be able to apply again or reopen their claim, right? They're, the disqualification from February is still on their record. Okay. Can other legal services programs adapt your PowerPoint to use for presentations to clients? Um, we're happy to share this information. However, we would appreciate it if you uh, continue to reference this PowerPoint as created uh, by Philadelphia Legal Assistance. Okay. If someone was laid off today due to the government order and were told their last day is today, should they apply today or wait until Monday or Saturday? They should apply today. Um, the Unemployment compensation uh, claim week goes from Sunday to Saturday. When they apply today, uh, like I said, their application is going to be backdated to last Sunday. And when they apply, it's going to ask them what, if anything, they earned this week. So they should report the, the earnings they had from this week. In essence, if they worked, you know, Monday through Friday, um, they should put that in the application. What that means is they most likely won't be eligible for benefits for this week. Like I said, they'll, it'll just get pushed back a week. Um, they, they can still collect the full amount. And we recommend people doing that um, because we want you to get your applications in and processed uh, as soon as possible, um, given that uh, we're worried that there could be some delays in processing. So better to apply now rather than wait until next week. And, and I'll just put this out there as well. If people are unsure if they're going to be eligible, go ahead and apply. We recommend that everyone just apply um, because you never know what's going to happen. Um, and it's better to get that application in. And if there are any federal extensions or new federal programs, uh, sometimes they, before you can collect under them, they require proof that you were not able to collect under your state unemployment uh, insurance program. And so having that denial could help you uh, quickly get help from any other new programs uh, that are passed by the government. I think you said this earlier, but all referee hearings have been postponed, correct? Yes. And they did a very bad job at telling people that, unfortunately, but it is on their website. It's on the appeals portion of the website. Okay. Uh, next person wrote to confirm if you're an out-of-state resident, you can still apply in PA? Yes. If, you're, um, if your employer was in PA, um, then you should have Pennsylvania wages. Now, um, sometimes this gets confused with interstate claims, and, and every once in a while during situations like this, we're all... Um, all state UI agencies are handling lots of claims. They could try to kick it to a different agency based on where you lived, but generally speaking, um, you should be filing in the state in which you earned uh, the benefits. Sorry, which you earned the income. 
Um, last question. Oops, now it moved on me. Sorry, one second. Do we know if the projected federal economic stimulus funds will be counted as income for UC? Uh, we don't know that yet. Um, there has not been a clarification on anything like that um, in, the, in the bill. But just to be clear, my, my initial take on that legally would be no, because you only have to report earned income, like earned wages, right? And so that is not considered, I, I cannot imagine it will be considered earned wages. It's the same reason why people who are collecting Social Security insurance or Social Security disability do not have to report those payments to unemployment, right, when they're collecting benefits. They're not reportable. Um, so my guess is that any sort of payments like that would fall into the same category. We'll release guidance on that as soon as we have more information about exactly what the federal government is doing. Okay, and currently the last question. If someone has already applied this week listing an incorrect reason for separation, what would you recommend they do to remedy that? Um, they can uh, shoot an email uh, to uchelp.pa.gov. Um, there's also a few different ways to contact the department. The chat system is one way as well. Um, one of the documents, hopefully, uh, that is being shared is our How to Contact UC page. Um, I will say that um, there's going to be a lot of confusion. People are It's going to happen to a lot of people probably, and I do think the department is going to be um, you know, trying to fix things where they can, knowing that people uh, are not really clear on their form um, of separation, right? I think a lot of people are probably putting lack of work um, in other situations that may count for voluntary quit or a discharge, but they're all related to the same basic issue. So I'm hopeful the department will clarify that. Um, also, you can always clarify with the department when they reach out with a questionnaire or they reach out um, with a phone call. Okay, and we don't have any more questions, although I would note there are many um, thank you uh, messages that people are sending. Thank you, Julia, this was really helpful. Thank you so much, thanks a lot. Um, so people really got a lot out of this and appreciate you getting this information out so timely. Of course, um, and we'll send it around, but you can also um, continue coming back to our Facebook page, um, which is Philolegal, um, facebook.com uh, slash Philolegal. We also have created a landing page um, on our website. Um, it's uchelp.org uh, slash COVID-19, um, where we will put updates as we get them and new materials as they are developed. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And we will get, I will email the um, PowerPoint presentation out to participants today. Thank you so much, Julie. We really, Julia, we really appreciate you being here and helping us out today. Of course. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Be well.